Welcome to the watermarkoc.church podcast. Thank you for listening. Before we go into our series, that's the I, I had a great day yesterday because I got a chance to go down to Rosarito for the day and be with our build team down there in the community that we serve and, and meet that family. And that smile there, that, that's the Rodriguez family, and that gentleman, he smiled the whole day with that smile. That family helped us build their new home, and it's so cool to work with a family and have them build the home with you. And uh, it's, it's such great joy. And you know, the, the vision of our church, which is up on the wall over here, is to build a generational community that flourishes in God conversations and the authentic love of Christ. And I saw so much generational community because there were whole families. You know, fathers had brought daughters with them. There were, there were boomers and there were, you know, Gen Xers and millennials. We're all building together and there's this intergenerational stuff that was happening. A family of generations And there was these God conversations that were happening amongst the people as we built the house, as we broke and rested, as we went out into the community and we knocked on doors and invited people to the service that's happening right now in the community. As we went up on top of the hill and looked at the piece of land that God has given us to build a future church on, because the church has been planted out of these house builds. I think we built 15 uh, over the last several years down there. And there's a little church called Nueva Casa, New House that has formed out of this, and a lot of God conversations, not only within the church, but people in the community coming and seeing the house, asking questions, why are you doing this? And we get a chance to share the authentic love of Christ, right? We're here to build a house because God has filled us with his love, and we're here to serve this family who needs to hear and feel God's love. So it was a great week, and I got to see the vision of our church kind of fleshed out with those people down there. And what we said to this family is we all, we, there's a key ceremony, and you hand them the key, and there's tears. It's just the most moving, one of the most moving things I've ever had an experience of doing. And if you've not gone down there, we encourage you to come on one of the next trips with us. But when you hand a family a key, it's just, it changes your heart. And this family took that key. And, and one of the words that was said to this family as we blessed them is that, you know, we came down to build you a house with our homes with our hands. But Jesus wants to make a home in your heart. Only Jesus can make a home in your heart. We can build you a house and we can give you a, a nice shelter and a cool place. And there's, you know, it's great to have, have rooms and it's great to have a roof over your head and feel safe. That's awesome. Everybody wants that. But only Jesus can make a home and bring true rest and true peace and true joy, joy to your heart. Jesus can make this family and in, in this house into a home. And that was one of the blessings. And it was really cool to hear. That came from a teenager gave that blessing. I'm like, man, this, this girl has got it going on. She understands it. And so it was really, really cool to be with this family. And it really reminds me of the message that the author of Hebrews is trying to give to the people that he's writing to. Because it's a first century community. And they're struggling. They're struggling because they're being persecuted. The book of Hebrews is being addressed to like first century Jews that have become Christians. They've left their Jewish community and the Jewish tradition and the law, and they've, they've jumped into Jesus and his grace and the gospel, and they're trying to work that out. And, but it's been hard because they're facing persecution, not only from the Jewish community, but also from the Romans 
who governed and ruled, and so they're, they're struggling, and they're being persecuted economically, spiritually, socially, ostracized. It's tough on them, and they are weary. They are weary, and they're thinking of giving up and going back to old traditions, comfort, safety. And the author writes this book to encourage them and say, hey, why would you want to go back to the house, right, when Jesus has given you a home? Why would you want to go back to just a structure, you know, just, just things that are external when only Jesus can fill the internal part of your life with true peace and rest? And so the answer to the book of Hebrews and the answer maybe to some of our people in our culture today, maybe some of you here, is that you don't need to sort of make less of Jesus and walk away and go back to the cultural things that you're trying to find rest from. You actually need to lean into Jesus. You actually need to grab more a hold of the promises he's given you and bring them into your life because only Jesus can bring deep rest to your soul. And that's what the author is trying to encourage these first century strugglers. And we need to hear that message in the OC today because we're struggling for rest in a different kind of a way. They're weary because of persecution and struggle, but we are weary in Orange County, in America, because we've got so much work and so much stuff and so much technology. We are weary and overworked and overconnected and overstressed. And we need to hear a message of true rest just like they did. I mean, look at some of the, uh, I peruse the books that are out there talking about our culture, the American culture, Orange County, the world that we live in today, right? The modern world. Depression is the most diagnosed mental problem in the world today. Do you know that? Depression. It's not cholera. You know, it's not, it's not uh, m- you know, malaria. It's, it's depression. It's the anxiety and the darkness of the soul. That's the most diagnosed, diagnosed problem. As someone who preaches to you, I struggle with depression. I struggle with it. It's been one of the things that's really been tough in my life. And I would agree that there's a lot of people running really hard in Orange County trying to keep up with the Joneses, and on the inside, they're deeply depressed and weary. The World Health Organization says stress is the epidemic of the 21st century. <laughs> we got a lot of technology. we got a lot of goods and services. we got a lot of great stuff going on, but we're so stressed we can't even enjoy it, you know? Um, hurry sickness, one author calls it. We're sick with hurry sickness. It's the continual struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish more and more things with less and less time. Do you ever find yourself trying to do that? Just multiple tasking all the time? You're driving, you're texting, and you're trying to listen to the radio at the same time? <laughs> That's normal, right? I mean, we are a multitasking uh, compartmentalized, boom, boom, boom kind of people all the time. And that's natural, right? And yet that is wearisome. We become shallow in our relationships. We come, become shallow in our heart and there's no depth in our soul. And even when we try to take a day off, there's still this inner voice, right? Maybe you experience this, maybe you don't. But when I try to take a day off, sometimes I feel guilty. Anybody feel guilty? Try to take a day off, I feel guilty. I should be out there doing it. I should be out there praying for more people, saving more people, doing more, building the church. How can you take a day off, pastor? Get it done, man. There's this inner voice inside of me that says I'm never enough, I'm not doing enough. 
and I haven't earned enough, I haven't bought enough, I haven't owned enough. Whatever that voice is, is this inner voice that says that you are not enough. A lot of people say one of the reasons why this is so heavy on the modern culture is actually technology has blurred the lines between work and rest, right? So we, we don't really have a day where we end our work because we have these funny little boxes that we carry around everywhere and works with us 24-7, right? So no matter where I'm at, in the middle of the night, my, my phone might light up. Bing! There's a text. There's an email. You better answer this. The consumer that you're serving expects you to answer this really quickly, right? So you better get on this. You better, you better text your friend or she's not going to like you. You better post really quick, man, or you're going to be off the cool factor, right? You got to make it happen. You got to text. You got to post. You got to get out there or you're not going to be enough. And so we can't rest. It's always with us, this box. And sociologically what's happened in the ancient world we used to get our identity who we were our sense of self from our family and from the culture the culture gave you your place the family told you who you were that's where your identity and we've thrown off those shackles and we've embraced individualism that's the american dream i can ramp it up i can be anything i want to whenever i want to and guess what what that means is your identity is based on what you do. You've got to make your identity happen. You've got to brand yourself. You've got to market yourself. You've got to prove who you are through your own work and accomplishments. And that's now the bondage that we face is our identity comes from achievement and success. And so we have to work if we're going to be anybody valuable or worthy or anything worth loving and knowing. And it gnaws at our soul. You know, Madonna. Anybody heard of Madonna out there? I had to Google her to find out who she was because, you know, I'm a little old. Just teasing. Here's Madonna writing about this. You know, Madonna, she's got it going on. That, that girl is rich. She's written, she is one of the most successful, brilliant, whether you like her music or not. Madonna has got it going on. She should feel really good about herself, Right? Because she's won Emmys and grant, all kinds of stuff, right? Here's what she writes. I have an iron will. And all of my life, my will has been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get into another stage and I think I'm mediocre and meaningless. Madonna's right in this. Again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre and not enough. And that's always pushing me, always pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. Even though I've become, I still have to prove that my performance and my songs and all the things, there's this gnawing thing, I've got to keep doing it. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. There's somebody that has everything the world could buy, everything that the world says will give you rest, and she has no rest. She's exhausted. She's weary. Just like the Jewish Christians in the first century were exhausted and weary. And what was the prescription? Don't miss on the opportunity for true rest. Orange County, don't miss out on the opportunity for true rest. 
Watermark Church, don't miss out on the opportunity for true rest. Therefore, since the promise of entering rest still stands, the door is open, let us be careful that none of you be found having fallen short of it. For we also, these first century Christians, have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. He's talking about their forefathers in the past. But the message they heard was to have no value to them because they did not hear, uh, share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. In this passage that was read to you before, rest appears over and over again. And the author is trying to make a point as he uses this word rest in different ways, that there is a true rest, a deep rest, that only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's telling these Jewish Christians in the past, your forefathers, he's beckoning them back to the Old Testament when Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery and he brought them to the promised land. The promised land was a promise of a land of rest. But they failed to go into that rest, right? They said, no, 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 no. There's giants in that land, and we can't overtake them. In spite of what God says, that he's given us the land, we can't do it, so we will not do it. And so they walked away because they heard God's message. The land is yours, but they didn't believe it. They didn't walk into it. They didn't receive it, so they walked away. In the same way, these Jewish Christians here are in this promise of the gospel. Jesus Christ is your two rests. And they're thinking of saying, no, we're going to walk back to this external tradition. We're going to walk back to religion. And we're going to walk away from relationship with God by faith in Christ. And this is the analogy that is being played here in Hebrews. The gospel offers us the promise of true rest through intimate relationship with God. Don't be like your forefathers who missed the opportunity because of unbelief. They did not believe the message. They did not grab a hold of it and walk into it. Canaan is a picture in the New Testament. That's why the Old Testament is so powerful. When we read rich Old Testament passages, we realize those passages were about the history of what was going on right then, and God was teaching his people, but he was also giving them a picture of something that was to come. The Old Testament many times is a picture that ultimately will be fulfilled by the person of Jesus. And so the promised land is a picture for the Christian now as we look back of the place of true rest for us in the New Testament, which is Jesus. Jesus is our promised land. And in Jesus, as we abide in those promises, we inherit the rest that he's already given us, right? It's sort of like... In Mexico, we went down there yesterday, or the team went down there, and when you arrive on the job site with the family right there, there's a foundation that's been poured. That family did not pour that foundation. Because of your gifts, because of your graciousness, you guys funded that house. They didn't pay for it. They didn't earn it. A foundation was poured right on that land right there. And all the building materials were set right in front of them. And all the tools. And there was a foreman from Baja Christian Ministries who says, Ha, I love Jesus and I'm going to show you how to fill. This guy is like a a, a jumping around, a joy person for Jesus, this builder. 
He's a foreman, and he's happy all the time, and he t- takes you. Here, pastor, take the hammer. Let me show you how to do this. Let me, I mean, he's just running all over. He's like this joy bunny to get this thing done. And here's this family looking at this, and here's the promise. You can have this house. It's been paid for you. It's been provided for you. Here's all the tools. Here's a coach for you that will show you how to do it. And what if the family goes, eh, I don't believe that the house can be built. And they walked away from that. And they went back to their old house, their old little cardboard shack, and say, I don't believe it. Isn't that crazy? That's absolutely nuts. And yet, that's what's happening to these Jewish Christians. That's what happens to us in Orange County. God gives us every tool. He's given us a foundation. He's given us his word. He's given us everything we need in Jesus Christ. He's given us an onboard coach through the Holy Spirit to teach us how to build our life on him. And many times I go, eh, I think I'll go back to money. I like money. Money's going to give me rest. Eh, I think I'm going to go back to the internet and, you know, get some fun fixes. That's going to provide rest. I think I'm just going to go back and keep working harder and trying harder and earn and build my own rest. And that's what we struggle with. Even though the promise has been given to us, we fail to take it and build it in our lives. We fail to build our lives upon him. And this is what was the danger for these people. And so the argument goes on. Only Jesus can bring deep rest for the soul. Therefore, it still remains for someone to enter that rest. It's still open. And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, again, beckoning back to the rest of Canaan, God again set a certain day, calling it today. The opportunity is now. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David later on. In the psalm, Psalm 95, as in this passage already quoted today, if you hear his voice, Jewish Christians, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's us. That's these Christians. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. What is he talking about here? Why is the rest being used in so many different ways? He's really talking about two rests. An external rest, a temporary rest, and an eternal rest, an internal rest. You see, the people that ultimately went into Canaan, who led them? It wasn't Moses. Who was it? Joshua. Did Joshua provide ultimate rest for them? Did he? He didn't. He provided a good rest because they went into the promised land and they got a social and a physical rest because they were slaves, right? Do slaves ever rest? They never rest. If you're a slave in Egypt, you're working whenever your boss tells you to work. And guess what? If you're not working hard enough, we're going to give you less straw and have you make more breaks. They were being worked to death, right? They had no say on their workplace. There were no labor management laws. There was no agency to protect them. They were being worked to death. They were slaves. And God set them free. And once the next generation owned the promise under Joshua, they came into a land of rest. But it was only an external rest, a social rest, right? A a rest in a land. 
right? A physical rest, because then they get to say, they get to say I can take a day off now. <laughs> I can actually take a day off. I don't have to work every day. I don't have to be enslaved. And actually, in Deuteronomy 15, God says, when you enter the land, remember, one of the ways you'll proclaim your freedom and your true identity in me is by taking a Sabbath, taking a day off. You see, Sabbath in the rhythm in the Old Testament is a proclamation of freedom. Sabbath is a proclamation of freedom. I'm not a human doing. I'm not owned by my work. I'm a human being. I've been made in the image of God, and my identity does not come from the culture that tells me your identity is what you earn, what you own, and what you produce. And so it's a revolutionary, if you rest, it's a revolutionary act against a culture that tells you you are defined by how much you own, how much you earn, and what your worth is. And that's why God instituted that rhythm so we could get in touch with it in our soul, right? And so the rest of Canaan was just a temporary picture of what God was ultimately going to bring to his people, a deep rest. That's the Sabbath rest that he's talking. See, he's saying if Joshua had fulfilled that, we wouldn't be talking about rest, but he didn't. He just pictured the ultimate rest that God would bring through his son, And that's called Sabbath rest. God's rest is an internal peace that brings deep satisfaction from who we are. We're satisfied with who we are. You see, in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, when God created everything, he worked for how many days? On the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. He said, I'm satisfied with my work. Was he, was he physically tired like yesterday after I was trying to hammer a nail after about five minutes? I had to go take a break because I was exhausted. No, God, God doesn't get physically tired, right? He's a spirit, right? It's, it's not talking about physical rest. It's talking about a rest that has to do with his being, his character. He rested because he's satisfied. The work is finished. It's complete. I'm satisfied with what I'm done. That's the rest that God wants to bring deeper that Madonna needs. It's the rest that silences the eternal murmur in our hearts of self-reproach. We have this murmur in our hearts that says, you're not enough, you're not enough. You've got to work harder, you've got to earn more, you've got to do more. It's inside of us, and we only silence that when we receive grace and mercy and love from God for who we are, not for what we've done. Our culture can't give it to us. We can't earn it. We have to let that rest come, and only the gospel can bring it to us. A deeper peace that says, I'm satisfied because he is enough. I'm satisfied because he loves me. He's adopted me. I'm satisfied because he calls me his beloved one. I'm satisfied because he has provided. See, receiving the gospel allows us to rest from the work of self-justification, We're trying to justify our existence. We're trying to prove our worth. We're trying to show God through religion or our money, our power, success, that I am enough. I'm enough for everybody, and I'm enough for God. And that never works. All that brings is slavery and weariness. The only way to true rest is through the gospel. And so he ends with this amazing thought. Make every effort then to live in the rest that God has provided. What is he saying? 
Let us therefore make every effort to enter the rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. He's saying, walk into the rest that God has already provided for you. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who we must give account. That sounds terrifying. What is he talking about here? Is he talking about earning it? I thought he gave it to us. No, he's not talking about earning it. He's saying make the effort. Not, not earning, but entering into what God has already given you. Your belovedness, your acceptance, That takes effort, right? Intimacy with God takes effort. Spiritual intimacy is the most terrifying and the most comforting thing that we will ever know. What are you talking about, Bucky? Well, let me use marriage for an example. You see, when I got married to Kathleen, I was 20, and I landed this hot blonde. And I thought, wow, I got it going on. I got this hot blonde. We got a hot car, and I got a hot job, and everything is great. And so I married Kathleen, and I thought she was into what I was into. Fun, external, all these things. And Kathleen liked that stuff, but guess what Kathleen wanted? She didn't just want a hot body, me, right? She wanted my soul. Oh, my God, you want my soul? That's terrifying. No way I'm letting you inside of here. You can have all this you want, but you want inside of here? You see, I married a tiger lily. She's a lily, but she's a tiger, and she will not settle for anything but my soul. She wants my heart. She wants to know me intimately. That is terrifying for me. You you think being physically naked is scary? You know, we don't don't have a problem in our culture with physical nakedness, as everybody knows that, right? It's all over everywhere. What we got a problem with is spiritual, emotional nakedness. We are terrified to death of somebody seeing who we truly are. And so I was married to Kathleen legally, but I had to learn how to practice intimacy and love. And the Bible says when you accept the, the gospel, you are married to Jesus legally. You are united with Christ He loves you. He accepts you. You're accepted. But how do you live that out? By learning how to have spiritual intimacy and getting naked with God. Yes, pastor, did you just say that? Yeah, you have to learn how to get naked with God. And the Bible is telling you this right here in this passage. The Word of God, he's beckoning us back to the Old Testament. He's beckoning us back to the garden. And he says the Word of God is living and active, and it cuts away and it lays us bare. It cuts all the clothing away, it cuts all the covering away, and he lays us bare. Why would God want to do that? Because in the garden, if you remember, when mankind sinned, what did they do? They hid from God. They ran away from him. They put on fig leaves. And they hid from God, and they hid in the bushes. And God, don't talk to me. I'm scared of who I am. I'm scared of being naked. And what did God do? He called them out with his word. And he said, those fig leaves are never going to bring you covering. They're never going to give you peace. They're never going to give you rest. The only rest is my covering. And so what did he do? He sacrificed and he covered them with his clothing. You see, God loves you so much, he's not going to settle 
for some just external, drive-by, every once in a while relationship. He wants your heart and he wants your soul and he's coming after you. We sang the overwhelming, everlasting love of God. He's coming after your heart. He's coming after the stuff that you cover yourself, the fake stuff, the false images, the lies, the deceptions, the self-condemnation that's in your heart, how you hate yourself, how you judge yourself, and he wants you to take that off, and it's terrifying. I've been there, guys. It's terrifying to stand naked before God and say, I am so broken. I feel like a failure as a pastor sometimes. I'm so depressed, I don't want to go do stuff sometimes. I beat my wife up with my anger sometimes. I'm a broken man. I preach to you guys. I'm a broken man. And the only healing is when I take that off and I get real with people that are safe and love me. And what do they do? Do they judge me? Do they shame me? Do they guilt me? Do they say, Bucky, just try a little bit harder, do a little bit more? No, it's when I get naked and they touch that part of my soul with his grace and his mercy that true healing happens. Are you willing to let God lay you bare? Are you willing to let God... Cut off all the, all the stuff that's going on in your mind, all the self-talk, the self-hatred, the self-justification. Are you willing to lay that stuff down and say, God, teach me how to build my life on you because I'm naked without you? Money doesn't do it. I can't pretend with money anymore. I can't pretend with self-justification and self-talk. I can't do it anymore. I'm going to lay myself bare before you and be naked and ask you to show me how to clothe myself with your grace and your mercy and your love. That's where true rest comes from. That's when you're willing to take those fig leaves off like I've had to do. Performance power. I'm a performance addict. I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. And so only when I take that stuff off and I say, God, I'm naked, I'm alone, I'm depressed, and I need you. With healthy people, whether it's therapy, I've done that before. With my wife now, I know how to do it. I know how to get with safe people. And that's only the way that God clothes me and begins to heal me. It's the only way. It's terrifying for you guys, I know. I just want to encourage you. This morning is this chance to take a step. We're going to sing a song called Come to the Altar, one of my favorite songs. It says, are you weary and broken with carrying your own sin? Are you weary with trying to justify your own existence? Are you weary from playing the Orange County image management, texting, posting game, trying to be something that you're not? Come to the altar naked before God. Open it on us spiritually. God, I'm a sinner. God, I'm broken. God, I'm depressed. God, I struggle. Pornography, I'm addicted. I want to let go of this stuff, and I want you to heal me. I want you to cover me. Only you can cover me. That's what this table says. It's through my body and blood. I'm the one who came to cover you. I'm the one that sacrificed my own life so that you could be made whole, so that you could be covered, so that you wouldn't have to have shame and judgment inside of your heart. It's only when we're willing to start to take those steps and be still and be terrified and allow him to cover us that the healing begins, that the freedom to be Bucky, and Bucky's enough. I don't have to perform and prove I can be enough. Guys, sometimes I'm terrified to get up here and speak to you guys because I feel like I'm going to fail. Sometimes I am. And I just have to worship and say, God, this is your deal. It's not mine. I trust you, God. Cover me. Give me the words. Show me what to say. God, help me. This is not a game. This is real stuff. And so I just want to encourage you this morning as we end our time in worship. What is God saying to you? 
What is the fig leaf that you try to cover up your nakedness and shame that that doesn't work anymore, that he wants you to lay down this morning? What is the self-talk, the condemnation and the hatred that goes around in your mind that he wants you to lay down this morning? Maybe you need to be honest with somebody and come up afterwards for prayer and say, I just need you to pray over me. Maybe you need to make an appointment to see a spiritual counselor and say, i got to stop playing games. I, I, need, I need to really look in my heart and see what's going on. Maybe you need to confess to someone and tell them that you're broken and you're hurting and you need that healing that comes from just taking that stuff off in front of somebody that's loving and gracious to you. What is God calling you to do? He's calling you to come to the altar and to lay it down and let him cover you with a covering that only works. His love, his grace, you are enough in him. You are accepted in him. You are beloved in him. Let's come this morning and celebrate as we worship. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for covering my nakedness, my shame and my guilt. You are enough and in you I am enough. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thanks for this morning. I pray for everyone who's come here. There's folks here that are struggling with brokenness and shame and guilt. There's people in here that don't feel enough. They just don't feel enough, God. And Father, they're tired and they're weary. Lord, help them to be able to take off that stuff and lay it down. And Lord, cover them with your grace and your mercy and your healing and your acceptance and your love. That's why you brought them here, not to guilt them, but to love them, not to condemn them, but to accept them, not to shame them, but to cover them with your love. We thank you, Jesus, for the healing that you're going to bring as we come to the altar and are covered by your love. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church. 